0: Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been in the presence of greatness and yet you didn't realize it at the time? Maybe you've ever uh, had an experience where you've met somebody really famous or important and yet in the moment you didn't know who they were. Has that ever happened to you? A few years back, I was flying home from Dallas, Texas. I had been down at a church speaking in Dallas, Texas, and uh, I was sitting in the plane waiting for the flight to to, uh, taxi off, and... And as I'm sitting there and people are boarding the plane, these two young guys get on the plane, and uh, they were big, strong-looking dudes, you know, and they were decked out in athletic gear and just, uh, you know, brand-new Nike jumpsuits, and they had, you know, the brand-new Air Jordans on. And I'm looking at these guys, I'm thinking, these guys must be athletes or something. I mean, you know, and uh, and, uh, they come and they actually sit down in the two seats right next to me. And uh, they say, hello, and I said, hi, and how you doing, you know. And and they sit down, and right away, they they grab their Bose headphones, and they stick their headphones on, and they were just tuned out for the rest of the flight. And I was a little disappointed because I wanted to, uh, you know, strike up a conversation with them. I usually like to talk to people when I'm on the airplane, and uh, and I didn't really have a chance because they were kind of lost in their own world. But the whole flight, you know, I'm looking over at these two guys sitting next to me, and I'm thinking, man, these guys look familiar, but I just couldn't place it. I couldn't place where, they were, where I knew them from and, and uh, it was just kind of bugging me the whole flight. Well, we landed in Minneapolis and we're walking down towards the baggage claim and we're at baggage claim waiting for our bags and these guys are literally standing like two feet next to me the whole time waiting for their bags and I'm looking at these guys and I'm just thinking, man, I know these guys from somewhere. Well, all of a sudden as we're waiting for our bags to come along, a, a limo driver comes walking up and he's got a big placard in his hand with the Minnesota Vikings logo on it. And he walks up to these two guys and he shakes their hand and grabs their bags and they walk out. And I'm looking at these guys and I'm thinking, wow, these guys, they, they must have been Minnesota Vikings or something. And uh, I get home that night. I turn on Channel 11. I'm watching Randy Shaver on the news. And Randy Shaver says, this, this evening, two of our, uh, the future of our team, uh, of the Minnesota Vikings, arrived. Our two superstar rookies named Sidney Rice and Adrian Peterson. And I had been sitting, to these, sitting next to these guys for three hours on the airplane. And uh, I was like, unbelievable, man. I had, I had these guys right next to me this whole time. I didn't even know it. I mean, I didn't even get a selfie for Pete's sake. <laughs> I mean, talk about a letdown, right? And, and then, you know, I started thinking, man, what a missed opportunity. Because I usually like to talk to people and, you know, hopefully look for opportunities to share the gospel even. And didn't have the chance. But uh, I was right there next to Sidney Rice and Adrian Peterson and didn't even realize who they were the whole time. Now, I cannot believe I just told you a Minnesota Vikings illustration to start our morning. All right, that might be, that's a first, maybe the last, so enjoy it. Go pack, right? I share that story with you this morning because since October, we've been working our way through the book of Hebrews. and. During this time, we've met an individual at a few points along our journey who we really haven't said a whole lot about. But the reality is each time we've encountered this person in our study, we've truly been in the presence of greatness. Friends, did you know that? (laughs) Did you realize we've been passing right over this name of this individual who is really an incredible person? Now, if you missed it, Don't feel bad because here's the reality. For over 2,000 years, none of God's people understood or recognized the significance of this individual. The Jews of the Old Testament never fully understood who he was, and then the Christians of the New Testament also never fully understood how remarkable this guy truly is. His name is Melchizedek. And Melchizedek appears a couple times in the Old Testament before we come to him here in the book of Hebrews. The first time we see the name Melchizedek is in Genesis chapter 14. And there in Genesis chapter 14, Melchizedek appears after Abraham had just won this battle, and Melchizedek appears, and we're told there in Genesis 14 that he is a priest and king, and he's a priest of God Most High. Okay, so he's the priest of the God that we worship, the one true God. But here's the deal. The Bible doesn't really tell us anything more about this guy. It just kind of mentions that here's this priest, King Melchizedek, and Abraham gives him tithes, and he blesses Abraham, and and that's all we're really told, and he's kind of left as a mystery. Now, this was really incredible because the Jews had been given a priesthood 500 years after Melchizedek. The Levitical priesthood was instituted by God as being the priesthood of the Jewish people. So who was this Melchizedek dude who is called a priest of God Most High 500 years before God even started the whole Old Testament priestly system? And so Melchizedek was this mystery. Well, a thousand years goes by in biblical history until the second time Melchizedek's name comes up. And the second time Melchizedek's name comes up, a 1,000 years later, was in Psalm 110, where King David mentions Melchizedek. But there again, David doesn't really explain much about who he is. He just talks about a priesthood in the order of Melchizedek. And so once again, God's people are sort of left wondering, well, what's the deal with this Melchizedek guy? What's so big about Melchizedek? Well, another 1,000 years goes by in God's history until we come to fully understand the significance of who Melchizedek really is. You see, it wasn't until the first century AD when God inspired through the Holy Spirit, the author of Hebrews, to write this book that we really begin to fully understand and see the full illumination of who Melchizedek is and why he is just so special. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to spend some time looking at the significance of this individual, this mystery man that we've been passing over in recent weeks. We've seen his name already three times in the book of Hebrews, and yet again, we haven't really said much about him. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to learn more about Melchizedek and and why he really is so special. Now here's the thing, to a fully appreciate what's going on in our passage today, Hebrews chapter 7, before we get there, I want to step back and, and, and give us a big picture overview, a reminder of why the book of Hebrews is even in the Bible to begin with. All right? We need to understand the context, the, the, the meaning behind the book of Hebrews to understand the impact and significance of this particular passage. Now Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, was written to the early Jewish Christians, okay? So these were Jewish people, Hebrews, who had put their trust in Jesus as the Messiah. They were Jews who believed that Jesus really was the promised Messiah. Have, how many of you guys have ever heard of the, or, the, the organization Jews for Jesus, right? Okay, these were the original Jews for Jesus, all right, That's who Hebrews is written to, Jewish Christians, followers of Jesus. But here's the thing, 30 years has gone by since Christ's resurrection and his ascension into heaven. 30 years had gone by and some of these early Jewish Christians were beginning to waver in their faith. They were beginning to question whether they had made the right decision in following Jesus. And some of them had begun to think, maybe we should go back to the Old Testament religious system of Judaism. Why were they wavering in their faith? Well, they were wavering in their faith, number one, because they were experiencing an increasing and intensified persecution. See, these Hebrew Christians, first of all, they were being persecuted from within their own community, right? Their brothers and sisters, their family members who hadn't embraced Jesus as the Messiah were giving them all kinds of grief because they were trusting in Jesus instead of following the Old Testament covenant like a good Jew will do. And so they were being persecuted by their family. But not only were they being persecuted by their family, around the mid-60s AD, the Roman Empire and an emperor by the name of Nero comes along. How many of you ever heard of Nero, right? Nero is one of the most infamous emperors in all of Roman history. He's one of the most infamous persecutors of Christians in all of history. And Nero ramped up the persecution of the church like never before. And so now these Hebrew Christians are being persecuted from amongst their own people. And now they're being increasingly persecuted by the Roman government who's hunting down and searching out Christians because they want to suppress this new religion from growing. And these Jewish Christians are experiencing this persecution. And there's starting to wonder is this worth it i mean did did we make the right call here following this jesus guy because you know what my brother who's still a jew isn't experiencing the same kind of persecution and so they were wondering if they had made the right decision it wasn't just the persecution question though some of them had theological concerns about whether or not jesus was really the right guy to be following And their theological concerns went along the lines of this. They said, here's the deal. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We believe that he came and he died for our sins. But the thing is, is as we've been studying our Bibles, we've begun to recognize that the priests of the Old Testament are all descendants of Aaron. They're from the tribe of Levi. And we have been told that Jesus is our great high priest, but all the priests of god come from the tribe of levi and jesus was from the tribe of what judah right so how can he be an adequate priest for us when we know that god's priests come from the tribe of levi not judah and so they started questioning maybe jesus really wasn't who we thought he was and not only that but they started thinking wait a minute jesus has been gone for 30 years The Bible in the Old Testament tells us that a priest serves for life. And when a priest passes away, a new priest takes his place. And Jesus has been gone for 30 years. Who took his place? We need a new priest because the priests are our mediators between us and God. And if we don't have a priest, we're in big trouble because who's our mediator? And so they started asking all these kinds of questions. You know, was Jesus legitimate? Was his sacrifice effective? Don't we need a new priest? And so what was taking place is some of these Hebrew Christians were actually starting to think, maybe we should go back and do some of that temple stuff that we used to do. Maybe we should go back to the priest and maybe we should go back and do our sacrifices at the temple and let's just do it just to be safe, you know, kind of like a backup. We'll still believe in Jesus. We'll still say that he was the Messiah, but we'll do all the temple stuff and we'll just cover all of our bases and we'll be all good, right? See, that's what they were thinking. They were thinking of leaving the true and pure faith in Jesus Christ salvation by grace through faith in him alone and going back to their religious system of works that was found in Old Testament Judaism. And it was for this reason that the author of Hebrews was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this book because he wanted to encourage them to hang on to their faith. And he goes, and he goes on in the book of Hebrews The book of Hebrews, friends, is basically one long extended argument making the case that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than all that stuff you left behind. Don't go back to that. Jesus is better. That's what Hebrews is all about. He's better than the religion left behind. In fact, he's better than any religion. And this is where our section on Melchizedek today comes into play. You see, chapters 7 through 8 is not only the very center of the book of Hebrews, but friends, theologically, it's the central heart of the argument of the book of Hebrews. And what we're going to see here today and in the coming weeks is that in chapters 7 and 8, the author of Hebrews takes a direct shot at the Old Testament religious system of the Jews that some of these Hebrew Christians were considering going back to. And more specifically here, these chapters take aim at the Hebrews' concerns about Jesus and the necessity of the priesthood. And as we're going to see today and in the coming weeks, the author of Hebrews essentially argues, you want a priest? You want a priest? You want sacrifices? Then look to Jesus Because Jesus is the ultimate priest. Jesus provided the ultimate sacrifice. That's the point of the book of Hebrews. He's saying to the people who were thinking of going back to the Old Testament Jewish religious system, he says, you want a priest? Friends, Jesus is way more than a priest. In fact, not only is he a priest, but Jesus is a priest king. He's a priest king in the order of Melchizedek. Well, what does that mean? Well, that's where our passage today comes into play, to explain what does it mean that Jesus is a priest-king in the order of Melchizedek. Remember, Melchizedek, this mystery man, the Jews had heard his name for over 2,000 years, but they never fully understood what was so significant about Melchizedek. Well, today, the Holy Spirit-inspired author of Hebrews in chapter 7 is going to begin to unveil for us the nature of Melchizedek, and we're going to see that Melchizedek actually points us to the Messiah Jesus Christ. Now let's take a look at our passage this morning. Before we read chapter 7, 1 through 10, we need to start with some context. And so we're actually going to read the last two verses of where we left off last week when Pastor Rick covered chapter 6. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 through 20 because this provides essential context to understand chapter 7. The author of Hebrews says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That last phrase there, friends, is a direct quote from King David's Psalm 110, verse 4. David wrote about Melchizedek a thousand years before this. And he said there in Psalm 110 verse 4 that Jesus would be, that the Messiah would be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110 verse 4 starts out, The Lord says to my Lord. David uses two Hebrew words for God there in that opening sentence. He uses the word Jehovah and Adonai, two of the most commonly used names for God in the Old Testament. And so basically in Hebrew, you could say it reads, God says to my God. Well, how does that work? Well, God's not speaking to himself. What it is is it's a revelation of the triune nature of God. You have God the Father speaking to God the Messiah, the Son, Adonai. So it's God saying to the Lord, Adonai, Jesus Christ. And so this has always been recognized as a messianic psalm pointing to the Messiah. And look what David says. He says the Messiah would be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. But again, friends, you need to understand this, the Jews never understood what that meant because the Jews looked at these passages and they said, well, wait a minute, we have a priesthood. We have a priesthood that comes from Aaron. We have a priesthood that comes from the tribe of Levi. What what is all this stuff about Melchizedek? And it never made sense to them. And so... What we're going to see here is Hebrews 7 is God's revelation to the Jewish people that in Jesus, he was doing something new. He was doing something better. And he wants to show them that there is a greater priesthood. There is a priesthood that supersedes the Levitical priesthood. It's a priesthood in the order of Melchizedek. And that's the priesthood of the Messiah. Messiah. And Hebrews chapter 7, 1 through 10, is going to point out that this Melchizedek priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood of the Jewish Old Testament system. Let's take a look at Hebrews 7, verses 1 through 10 together. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First his name means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. And without a doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. In one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living." One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. Now, these verses can, somewhat, can appear to be somewhat complicated, but really all they are is an argument to highlight the fact that the Melchizedek priesthood is greater than the Old Testament priesthood. Remember, they were thinking of leaving Jesus to go back to the Jewish system. And he wants to show them, don't leave Jesus because Jesus is better than that old system. Jesus is a priest king in the order of Melchizedek. Why would you want to leave that and go back to something less? That's the point here. So what we see here in Hebrews 7, 1 through 10, we find that the author of Hebrews highlights four ways in which Melchizedek's priesthood was superior to the Old Testament Jewish priesthood. The first thing we see here in verse 3 is that Melchizedek's priesthood was superior to the Jewish priesthood because, number one, it wasn't bound by any lineage, It wasn't bound by any lineage. In verse 3, the author of Hebrews says, without father or mother, without genealogy. Speaking of Melchizedek. In other words, we don't know his family line. We don't know his ancestry. And that was a huge deal for the Jews because if you were going to be a formal priest, you had to have the right family line. You had to have the right ancestry. If you couldn't trace your ancestry through the Levites back to Aaron, you were disqualified But here, the author of Hebrews, inspired by God, is pointing out, no, there is a priest, there's a priesthood that's not based on genealogy, it's not based on lineage, it's based on a direct call from God himself. Melchizedek had no genealogy. He had no family line to point to, but he was called by God. And that is the order out of which Jesus, the Messiah, comes. So he's greater, number one, because he's not bound by lineage. Number two... The author of Hebrews points out Melchizedek is greater than the Jewish priesthood because he's not constrained by time. Verse 3 goes on to say, without beginning, without end, without the end of days, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now, Melchizedek once again was a real person. He was a type of Christ pointing us to the ultimate priest king, Jesus Christ. And so when the author of Hebrews says he had no beginning, he had no end, he's not saying that Melchizedek went on and lived forever He's talking about his priesthood. The office he held was unconstrained by time. So unlike the Old Testament Jewish priests who served for a lifetime, and when they died needed to be replaced, because if they weren't replaced, there wouldn't be a mediator between God and the people, what Hebrews is telling us is that no, that's not how it works anymore. We don't need a new priest because the Melchizedek priesthood is unconstrained by time. It's an eternal priesthood. And that is the priesthood of which which Jesus is a part of. Number three, the author of Hebrews says that the Melchizedek priesthood was superior because Melchizedek was worthy of the honor due him. In verse four, Abraham had returned from this battle where he had just defeated this group of kings and he meets Melchizedek. This goes back to Genesis 14. And Abraham gives Melchizedek a tenth, a tithe of all of the plunder that he had just received in battle. Now, what is Abraham, the father of the Jews, what is he doing giving a tithe to a priest who doesn't trace his ancestry to Levi through the Levitical priesthood, right? That would have been unheard of for the Jews. You don't give tithes to people who aren't formal priests. And a formal priest is from the tribe of Levi. That's who we give the tithe to. But Abraham gives the tithe to this guy named Melchizedek who we don't know anything about other than that he's a priest of the Most High God. And the point, again, is the author of Hebrews is saying there is a greater priesthood. There's a better priesthood. It's the order of Melchizedek. That's the priesthood of which Jesus is from. And then fourthly, we see here in these 10 verses, in verse, chap- in verse 7 of chapter 10, the Melchizedek priesthood was superior in that it was superior in its bestowing of blessings. Abraham meets Melchizedek, and what does Melchizedek do? Melchizedek blesses Abraham. Friends, that was a big deal for a Jewish person who followed Old Testament Judaism because here's the thing. The greater person always blessed the lesser person. Fathers blessed sons. Priests blessed people. Okay, the greater in authority always blessed the lesser in authority. And so the Jews are hearing this and reading this, and they're saying, well, wait a minute, there was nobody greater than Abraham. I mean, he was the Jew of all Jews. I mean, he's Father Abraham, had many sons, right? He's the man, right? It doesn't get any better than Father Abraham. What is he doing, receiving a blessing from this guy? And again, the point is, is that Melchizedek was superior in some way because he was a priest king called directly by God and Abraham, even father Abraham recognized his greatness and his authority and Abraham humbly received the blessing from Melchizedek. Friends, are you starting to get the picture of the argument here? The author of Hebrews is highlighting for us in all of these different ways the supremacy of Melchizedek and his priesthood to make the point that there is a better priesthood and that is the priesthood of Jesus, the Messiah. Melchizedek was a type of Christ, a foreshadowing of Christ, pointing us to the coming Messiah who would be the ultimate priest king over God's people. And so if you're thinking of going back to the Old Testament Jewish religious system, why would you do that? Because this is so much better. Jesus is better. That's the whole point of the author of Hebrews. We have a priest king in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus can be trusted to be the better priest and the better king. And God used Melchizedek to point us to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, right here in the heart of the book of Hebrews, chapter seven and eight. And here in these chapters, chapter seven and eight, we're gonna land on these chapters today in the next three weeks. We're gonna see four incredible truths revealed about Jesus Christ being our priest king, our ultimate priest king in the order of Melchizedek. We're gonna come to see here in the coming weeks that Jesus is the king of righteousness. Remember, Melchizedek's name was king of righteousness. Melchizedek wasn't righteous. He just pointed to the one who was the true king of righteousness. We're going to see that Jesus is the king of peace. Melchizedek was also called the king of peace. Well, he wasn't the source of peace. He pointed to the one who is the source of peace, the coming Messiah who we know as Jesus Christ. And we're going to see here in Hebrews 7 and 8 that Jesus Christ is an eternal priest. His priesthood lasts forever. Amen, brother. And not only is he an eternal priest, but he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new and better covenant. In Jesus Christ, God was doing something new. And again, the author of Hebrews, he's telling us all of this stuff. See, we read the book of Hebrews sometimes and we read over this and we don't realize why it's so significant, but when you understand that these Jews were thinking of leaving the faith to go back to to what they once had, the author of Hebrews is saying, don't do that, that would be ridiculous. Why would you even think of that? because Jesus is so much better. He's so superior. He's far better than any religion. Don't go back. Two years ago, you guys, I've uh, shared about my experience going to U- University of California, Berkeley with Sean McDowell a couple years ago. And uh, Sean McDowell, we had here uh, last year for our apologetics conference. And, and uh, Sean and I, when we were at UC Berkeley, we held a series of Of uh, open forum dialogue slash debate type events with uh, people from different religious backgrounds and we invited students to come in and sit in and hear us you know kind of swapping ideas and having conversations with these folks one of the guys we had a dialogue with during our time at the campus of UC Berkeley was a was a uh, the president of the Bay Area the San Francisco Bay Area freedom from religion foundation Have you guys ever heard of the Freedom From Religion Foundation? You'll see them on the news at times. Their representatives come on and oftentimes where there's uh, court cases about religious freedom and stuff like that. Well, this guy was the president of the Bay Area Freedom From Religion Foundation and we were talking and one of the things I asked this guy during our conversation, I said, sir, tell me something. What exactly do you have against religion? And he said, oh man, he said, Religion is the worst thing that has ever happened to humanity in all of history. And when he said that, I immediately said, amen. I agree with you 100%. Well, he looked at me, he was like, like, what? I said, I can agree with you 100%. And I said, in fact, you and I are pretty much on the same team on that one. Religion is the worst thing that's ever happened to humanity in all of history. And he said, well, what do you mean? He was like totally baffled, right? And I said, look at here's the deal. Jesus came to defeat religion. Religion has kept more people from having a relationship with God than anything else, any other force, any person in all of human history. Nothing has caused more harm than religion, Because what is religion? Religion says to men and women that there is something that you can do to earn your salvation. There is something that you can do based on your own good works, your effort, your merit, your sacrifices, your rituals, your money. You can do something to make yourself right with God. That's what religion says. That's what it's all about. You look at any religion in the world, that's the bottom line. You can do something to earn the right to have a relationship with God and Jesus came to destroy religion man you want freedom from religion then join up with Jesus because he's on your team brother right Jesus came to give us freedom from religion that's what we're going to talk about here in Hebrews chapter 7 and 8 religion enslaves people And the problem with religion and trying to earn your right to a relationship with God is the Bible says, Isaiah 64 6 tells us that all of our righteous acts, all of our good works, all of our good deeds, the Bible says they're all like filthy rags in the eyes of a holy God. See, that's the, that's the fundamental problem with religion. God is perfect. He is morally pure. He knows no sin, and he cannot tolerate sin in his presence. And so, brother, if you think you are going to do enough good deeds to make your life right with God, you're, you're in big trouble because the standard is perfection. And unless you have lived to that standard, you're never gonna enter into the presence of God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short. And I mean, I think Paul like put it mildly there, because we don't just fall short. I mean, we are like falling pathetically short of the glory of God. And that's what religion is all about. And Hebrews was written to encourage people. Don't go back to that. Don't go get, getting yourself enslaved in that religious stuff again. The priest, he can't do anything for you. The sacrifices, they were worthless. It's this, for this reason that Jesus came into the world. And he came into the world to be an eternal priest and an eternal sacrifice and trust in Jesus for your salvation because he is so much better than religion. That's what we're going to look at here in the coming weeks. It is Jesus who is the king of righteousness. It is Jesus who is the king of peace. You're looking for righteousness? You want to be made right in the eyes of God? Are you looking for peace in your life? You're not going to get either of those through religion it just can't happen you get those through our god who loved you so much that he broke into human history he came into this world in the form of a man he lived a perfect sinless life to be the perfect sinless substitute for us when he died on the cross to forgive us of our sins and in in first john 1 9 John tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We can be made right with God because of what Jesus has done for us. See, religion is about your righteous works and your righteous actions, but your righteous actions are pathetic to a holy God. I mean, I don't mean to be offensive. I mean, some of you might be sitting there thinking, like, dude, I'm a really good guy. I mean, What's he he doesn't even know me he doesn't know all the good stuff I've done I mean I hold the door for my wife every time we get in the car and I've never said a bad word at least not in the last couple years and 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 I give money to my church faithfully I go down and I serve at the food shelf like once or twice a year who do you think you are Jason telling me that my righteous deeds are worthless in the eyes of a holy God there's a lot of people in our world who are just like that and they start, like, thinking that they're all cool and they start comparing themselves to, well, I know I'm, I'm way better than Ben. You should have seen what he did the other day, right? So, it, I mean, you know, if God's going to compare us, well, God's not comparing you. He's the standard. His perfection, his righteousness is the standard. Not you and Ben. Your sin is just as bad as Ben's sin in God's eyes. You're in trouble. He doesn't care how often you volunteer at the food shelf, right? Because his standard is perfection. And so the good news for us, though, is God has provided a substitute for us, a stand-in for us. This is what Paul gets at at Romans 3, 21 and 22. Now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's what we're talking about. This is freedom from religion. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, he applies his righteousness to you. And God now looks at you, and instead of seeing your sin, he sees the righteousness of Christ, which covers your sin. God becomes the stand and the substitute for us. And that's how we're made right with God. And he forgives us of our sins. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. He gives us the right to become children of God. Friends, there's nothing greater than that. But you can't earn it you can't work for it you can't buy it it's a gift it comes from god it's freely given and you need to receive it and so today i just need to ask you i said i need to ask you do you know the king of righteousness do you know the king of peace because if you don't have a relationship with jesus if you haven't trusted in him as your source of salvation if you're trusting in anything else you're in big trouble Because your good works can never match God's standard of perfect righteousness. And God knew that. And he cared so much about you and he loved you so much that he sent Jesus to come and be that sacrifice, that mediator for us. Why would you go for anything else? Why would you turn your back on that amazing gift? That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. That's what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. And that today, friends, is the challenge I want to leave you with. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior? I hope you have. I pray you have. If you haven't, if God is like stirring in your heart today, why don't you do that right here, right now? Right here, today. It's as simple as praying a prayer that acknowledges something like Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. And I need your gift of righteousness in my life. I put my hope in you. I trust in you, Jesus. I put my faith in you. And I want to receive the gift of salvation that you died on the cross to give give me. I want the new life that's promised because of your resurrection. I want to become a child of God. You don't have to get the theological language right, friends, okay? If you cry out to God, he knows your heart, and he loves you so much, That if you just call out to him and tell him you need him, he will begin a new work in you, a new work of transformation. There's nothing more powerful than that. Man, there's nothing greater than that. Even a Viking's victory pales in comparison to that. (laughs) I hope you've trusted in Jesus. Let me close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for illuminating for us this, this person, Melchizedek, who points us to the reality that there is one who is a greater priest, who is a greater sacrifice, who is a greater mediator, and that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus, I, I am so thankful for what you've done in my life. I'm so thankful for what you've done in, in, in the lives of so many of my friends here this morning. And, and I just pray, God, I know there might be somebody here in a, in a room this large who has never fully understood the message of the gospel that we're not saved by our good deeds, by our righteous acts, but we're only saved by the gift of salvation given to us in Jesus Christ. And if there's somebody here today who knows that they've never received that gift, they've never truly embraced that gift, I pray that they might just cry out to you right now and pray and admit their sin and admit their need for a Savior and that they might trust in you as their Savior for the very first time and enter into a new relationship with you God, we thank you for your promise of faithfulness, your promise of restoring us to our right relationship with you and the new life that we can have. I have experienced it. Countless others in this room have experienced it, and I pray, Lord, if there's somebody here who hasn't, that they will put their hope in you today. We're so grateful, Jesus, for who you are and all you've done. We thank you for the message in this book of Hebrews, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We don't have a closing song this morning. So I want to leave you with this benediction from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you as faithful, and he will do it. Amen. this world can be